Well, it is a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, it's humbling to be able to bring God's Word to you today. Um, just a, a last-minute note, if you get baptized next week, the water's going to be super cold, all right? may even be some ice in there. I don't know. I don't know. Just a good way to cool off. Um, can I just uh, uh, be a brag dad moment here for a minute? My daughter, Hannah, which a lot of you know, she just finished her first year uh, medical school at Liberty College of Osteopathic Medicine. And yesterday, she flew to the Dominican Republic for a week-long medical missionary trip. And it is, her whole life is, she's known what she's wanting to do, she's five years old, and it seems like she's right in the center of where God wants her to be right now. She majored in Spanish in college just so she could uh, minister and, and serve the under, underprivileged, the underserved medically. And so she's right there where she needs to be and she's having a ball. And so I just wanted to uh, be a, uh, a proud dad moment. And she's been here since she's six years old and this church has been a, an enormous influence on helping her grow uh, to the, into the, the young lady that she is today. Um, if you didn't get a chance to scan the QR code, we're gonna put that up now so that you can take your phone out and get the notes uh, on your phone. Um, the original title of this message was Thermometer or Thermostat? Are you a follower or are you a leader? And a few days ago I changed it because I just wasn't feeling it. But with the air conditioner being broke, I think that might have been a bad idea. I think I might have just should have stayed with thermometer, thermostat. Um, uh, I wanted to, to kind of piggyback on what Brad started last week. He, he talked about having, uh, finding a Bible and, and a version that you understood. And so I found some resources to kind of help us, uh, help us in deciding. And so we're going to look at a phrase, Mom, I'm hungry. We're going to look at that phrase and see how it would be, would be translated in the different, different versions of the Bible. So the first is the Message Bible. And so it says, Mama, I'm hungry. Pretty easy to understand. Um, and we move on to the Amplified version of the Bible. It says, Mummy, I'm hungry. Famished, starving. Have to add some, some more declaration to emphasize the hungry there to mummy. An NLT, which we use a lot around here, would say something like, Mother, I am hungry. And so that's pretty easy to understand. Now, a lot of people are familiar with the King James Version of the Bible. It came down in 1611, and a lot of people still use it. But when we, if we read that statement in King James, it would read something like this. Henceforth, let it be known unto thee, birth giver, that my belly consists of emptiness. So if that is how you speak and how you understand, then, you know, that's the right version for you. Now, this is just... <laughs> so, um, today we're talking about the Good Kings and Chronicles. And Good Kings has an asterisk because they were kind of good and then they kind of weren't. And I always... These are... We're talking about the kings in Judah. And there was a time when... Uh, the nation was split, and there was Israel and Judah, and I always forget which one is north and which one is south. Israel was north, 
they had 19 kings or something like that, and they were all bad. Judah was in the south, and it had Jerusalem as their capital, and they had some good kings, which we're, we're, we're going to talk about all the Judah kings that were kind of good, but most of them went off the rails at the end, the, the good ones. So we're talking about today about Joash, King Joash, who was a king in Judah, but his story reads like a Disney movie. Um, you know, he, he was, his dad dies, so he's an orphan, and then he gets rescued because his evil grandma kills all the kids, and they get hit, hide, he's hidden in the temple, and then seven years later, he's pronounced king. That, I mean, that would sell a movie right there. I mean, you could make a movie off that. So, um, and you know, why is it worth studying these guys that were kind of good, but they ended up bad? I mean, why don't we just study the guys that were good? Aren't they better role models? Yeah, in a sense. But we study the, the bad ones to see that God always gives them chances, always uh, gives them a, an opportunity to redeem themselves. He, uh, he shows his faithfulness through working through these bad kings, and he always delivers on his promises. He works his perfect plan through imperfect people to see that God is Lord of all. So we're going to start reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 22. Now, if you have your Bible, you can find Chronicles by kind of splitting your Bible into thirds like that. And then the first split, there it is right there. I just learned that two days ago. I was, was so excited. So we're going to start in chapter 22 in verse 10. Now there's a lot of A's, A names, a lot of J names that get confusing. I'll try to clear it up later, but just hang in there. When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehoshabah, the daughter of King Jehoram took Ahaziah's infant Joash and stole him away from the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehoshaphat, wife of Jehoiada, the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. Um, Brad, Brad, we don't have a hiding place for kids, is that right? Oh, okay, just wanted to verify that. So no hiding places for kids in here in case that was a plan B. I don't know, I don't know. Um, so so here, here is, uh, here's basically what happened. Okay, Joash, little one-year-old baby, dad dies, okay, dad dies. Evil grandma kills all the kids. Auntie takes him and his nurse, hides him in the temple. And oh, by the way, uncle is chief priest of the temple, so it's okay. Everybody with me? So, we're not, so now that's where we're at. So the next chapter um, starts six years later with Jehoiada, the, the verse says, summons his courage 
to get all the commanders of the army together and we're gonna, we're gonna install this seven-year-old king. So it's six years later. So Athaliah, she must have been a piece of work if the chief priest who has a lot of power in the country has to summon his courage and go behind the back and make this alliance with, with his uh, army commanders. So we're gonna pick up in verse 11 of chapter 23. Then Jehoiada and his sons brought Joash, the king's son, placed a crown on his head and presented him with a copy of God's laws. They anointed him and proclaimed him king, and everyone shouted, long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and the shouts of praise to the king, she hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was happening. When she arrived, she saw the newly crowned king standing in his place of authority by the pillar at the temple entrance. The commanders and trumpeters were surrounding him, and the people from all over the land were resourcing, rejoicing and blowing trumpets. They had a lot of trumpets there, okay, we got that. Singers with musical instruments were leading the people in a great celebration. When Athaliah saw this, she tore her clothes in despair and shouted, treason, treason. That sounded pretty good, like an evil grandma, okay. And then they took her outside and killed her, okay. Okay, here's a, not really a lot of um, spiritual value to this, but there's a fun fact. Joash is the youngest king in the Bible. Seven years old, he was the youngest king in the Bible. Now, your, um, your first uh, fill in the blank is this. With Joash becoming king, God kept his covenant with David. You see, David had been a king years before, and God had promised him, there will always be a king from your sons, your grandsons, your great-grandsons. I promise the line of David will continue forever. But at this point, it had been so long that people were despondent because evil grandma, Athaliah, had killed all the sons. There wasn't any line of David left. And so, what are we going to do? The, the kingdom's a wreck. Um, nothing, you know, no, there's no peace. And so, God apparently didn't keep his promise. But God was always there to keep his promises. So, let's continue the story with the good things that Joash did, because you know, we know he started off good. So let's, let's read uh, the good things that he did. Starting in verse 16, when Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that they would become, that they would be the Lord's people. And all the people went over to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Jehoiada now put the priests and Levites in charge of the temple of the Lord, following the directions given by David. Now remember, David, earlier, they had, had the temple of the Lord was a tent. The tabernacle was this tent. And David's like, this is not good enough for my king. I want to build a building. I want to build a grand palace, a grand temple. And so he made up plans and he gathered all the materials. But then God said, 
Sorry, David, you are a man of war. You're not allowed to build the temple, so your son Solomon will build the temple. So that's Solomon's temple that we're, we're looking at right now. Continuing on, he also commanded them to present burnt offerings to the Lord as prescribed by the law of Moses and to sing and rejoice as David had instructed. He also stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple to keep out those for any reason, who for any reason were ceremonially unclean. Then the commanders, nobles, rulers, and all the people of the land escorted the king from the temple of the Lord. They went through the upper gate and into the palace, and they seated the king on the royal throne. And so the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful because Athaliah had been killed. Again, a terrible, terrible person. But they had restored the temple, brought back the practices that David had started. Let's, um, let's keep going, because Joash is not done being good in chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother was Zebiah from Beersheba. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. If this was our murder, murder mystery, this would be the gun on the mantelpiece. This is our first clue to what's going to happen. Continuing to read, Jehoiada chose two wives for Joash, and he had sons and daughters. At one point, Joash decided to repair and restore the temple of the Lord. He summoned the priests and Levites and gave them these instructions. Go to all the towns of Judah and collect the required annual offerings so that we can repair the temple of your God. Do not delay. But the Levites did not act immediately. Now, there is a, a parallel story in 2 Kings that gives us a little more information. And some scholars who have read that think that these Levites may have delayed, oh, 23 years. That's quite a delay. So let's pick that up again. So the king called the Jehoiada, the high priest, and asked him, why haven't you demanded that the Levites go out and collect the temple taxes from the towns of Judah and from Jerusalem? Moses, the servant of the Lord, levied the tax on the community of Israel in order to maintain the tabernacle of the covenant. Over the years, the followers of wicked Athaliah had broken into the temple of God and they had used all the dedicated things from the temple of the Lord to worship the images of Baal. So now the king ordered a chest to be made and set outside the gate leading to the temple of the Lord. Then a proclamation was sent throughout Judah and Jerusalem telling the people to bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. This pleased all the leaders and the people, and they gladly brought their money and filled the chest with it. Whenever the chest became full, the Levites would carry it to the king's officials. Then the court secretary and the officer of the high priest would come and empty the chest and take it back to the temple again. This went on day after day, and a large amount of money was collected. The king and Jehoiada gave the money to the, 
construction supervisors who hired masons and carpenters to restore the temple. They also hired metal workers who made articles of iron and bronze for the Lord's temple. The men in charge of the renovation worked hard and made steady progress. They restored the, the temple of God according to the original design and strengthened it. When all the repairs were finished, they brought the remaining money to the king and Jehoiada. It was used to make various articles for the temple of the Lord, articles for worship service and for burnt offerings, like including ladles and other articles made of gold and silver. And the burnt offerings were sacrificed continually in the temple of the Lord during the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada lived to a very old age, finally dying at 130. He was buried along the kings in the city of David, which is Jerusalem, because he had done so much good in Israel for God and his temple. So what did Joash do that was good? Here's our next, our next uh, point. Joash rebuilt the temple and restored the worship of God. And in doing that, he might have also, this might also be the first recorded uh, instance of a collection box. I, I don't know for sure, but in, 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 the, in the second Kings, it says that they, they drilled a hole in the top of it so people can put their money in. Now we're back to that second verse. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. We're going to keep reading. But after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshipped Asherah poles and idols instead. Because of this sin, divine anger fell on Judah. So our next point is when Jehoiada died, so did Joash's faith. When Jehoiada died, so did Joash's faith. Continuing with the story. Yet the Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. The prophets warned them, but still the people would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You have abandoned the Lord, and now he has abandoned you. Then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah, and King Joash ordered that they stone him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. This was how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty by killing his sons, his son. Zechariah's last words as he died were, may the Lord see what they are doing and avenge my death. God sent Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, who Joash probably grew up with, to warn him, give him another chance to turn and repent and come back to God. But he had him killed in the temple, defiling the temple even further. The next couple of points I got backwards, so we're going to skip down one to this point. We cannot prosper 
when we disobey the commands of God. We cannot prosper when we disobey the commands of God. Now, don't read that to say that we will prosper if we do obey the commands of God. And don't read that prosper is just money. Prosper could be peace, could be spiritual health, could be mental health, could be physical health, could be happiness, could be fulfillment, a lot of things. You can be prosperous in besides money. Could be safety. Could be the absence of fear, like what they had in their time. But it doesn't end well for Joash. After that, the army of Syria comes, a very small army compared to Joash's army, the armies of Judah. But Syria wipes them out, kills all the commanders. And in the battle, Joash has wounded himself. And so he, he's back laying in his bed and his own servants come in and kill him. Kind of gives you an idea how, how far he had slidden and what the pe people had thought of him. Even his own servants didn't like him. And he was buried in the city of David, but not in the royal cemetery. So then he denied him a king, the burial of a king, because he was so bad at the end. So what can we, what can we learn from Joash? I think this, this point here, we are more vulnerable in the good times. Joash had it so good when he uh, got rid of his evil grandma, got rid of all the Baal worship, restored the temple, restored worship to the Lord. Everybody was happy. The people were, were doing great. And, you know, he was, he was a king for 40 years, so he was really a king over a, a satisfied country for a long time. And he just got complacent. In the good times, we let our guards down. We think, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I, got a, I got a nice job. I got a nice family. I got a great car. Look at my house. Look what I did. And we forget from where we've come from. We forget, we push God out of the picture because everything's going great. We're doing good. And Joash, you know, had those friends come along. Hey, Joash, got a party this weekend. You know, the Goyles are going to be there. You know, you killed all the Baal priests and Asherah poles, but there's still some up on the hills, you know. And those Ashrapol girls, they're looking at you. Come on, come to a party. And it could start as simple as that. Oh, yeah, I'm a king. I deserve a party. It's only, ah, you know, that's probably not that big of a deal. And just start small and then can grow. We were more vulnerable in the good times. We have a good, you know, today we're kind of suffering because we don't have an air conditioner. And we had to turn off the fans because I can't talk that loud. So you guys are suffering. But as first world problems, rich people problems. You know where, I looked it up. You know where the church is growing the fastest? The country in the world where the Christian church is growing the fastest is Iran. 
In the last hundred years, Africa has gone from less than nine million Christians to, as of 10 years ago, the numbers I have, 390 million Christians. We don't think of Africa as a good place to live. There are modern cities and stuff, but we still see huts and giraffes and lions and tigers. And in China, in the last 60 years, the population of Christians has grown from 4 million to 67 million. It's a place where it is act, the church is actively, the buildings are torn down. You can only have the official Christian church, and there's only a few of those, and they monitor what you say. So the house church movement in China is going crazy. Another thing we have to be careful of in the good times is who we are influenced by and what we consume. I think it's not an accident that the people that are famous on social media are called influencers. Hi, I'm Brittany, I'm a fashion influencer. Hi, I'm Brittany. Here's my, here's my meal prep for the week. All, you know, bloggers on how to build things, how to, all the, I'm a party, here's how to have a great party. Here's all the best whiskeys to drink. Here's all the things to do. Here's all that we're going to compare all these things. All these influencers are, are just telling us all these great things to do. They're advertising and, and doing everything. But, and it's so easy because it's 30 seconds at a time. But it just it eats away at you. So we have to be very careful of what we consume. Our next point. God gives us many chances. We saw that Joash had lots of prophets come and speak to the people and they rejected it. But then he sent the prophet that he must have known personally. And he was so callous they had him killed. He was so uh, beyond turning around. I want to tell you uh, a story of when God sent a prophet to me. Um, it was late 88 or early 89, and I was driving. It was late at night. I'm not sure where I was coming from. I, may, I think it might have even been a church event. We, we had a really active college age group. I was probably 25 or so then, at that point. And... I just was feeling empty. I, I just wasn't getting it. It just didn't, you know, my faith was just dry as a bone. I, you know, I had a lot of other things. I had probably flunked out of college three times at that point, didn't have a good job. You know, I wasn't, I had all kinds of, you know, despondency and mental health things that were kind of messing me up and I was driving a Ford Escort for crying out loud and a wagon at that and so, oh <laughs> you know it was brown a brown Escort wagon can I can you just you know 
do anything worse. I don't know. So uh, there I am. One o'clock in the morning. I grew up in, in the suburbs of Kansas City. So I'm driving home. And I'm listening to KY 102, which is uh, a rock station. I don't think it's a rock station anymore, but you know, I listened to KY 102. I was cleaning out my garage a couple of weeks and I found a bumper sticker. Still had a little bit of sticky on it. So it reminded me of KY 102. And out of the blue, they start playing a Striper song. I don't know if anybody knows who Striper is. We're going to put up a picture of Striper. Striper was a Christian hair metal band. They're actually still together. They don't dress like that anymore, but they still use lots of hairspray. And um, the Striper was my prophet. And the song that they played was Keep the Fire Burning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some lyrics to you, and you'll understand why it hit me so hard. We've been through a lot together. We've seen what some will never see, you and me. Prayer after prayer has been answered. We can't go on without belief, can't you see? We just got to be strong. Keep the fire burning. Got to move on. Keep our hearts from turning. Got to hold on, on to what you're learning now, and never let go. I started bawling, kind of like I am now. <laughs> I started crying out to God. I started hitting the dash. But I changed. I, I turned and returned to God because I knew that this was not a coincidence. KY-102 did not play Striper. I had never heard them play Striper. So God sent the prophet Striper to me, and I, thankfully I heard the call and returned to him. I think I may have fibbed to my parents and told them that the crack in the dash was from the cold weather. I don't know. Sorry, Mom. Um, so even hair metal bands can be redeeming. Oh, here's another fun fact. Uh, when Tracy and I got married, we had a Striper song played at our wedding. She was a headbanger for sure, I'm telling you. I mean, no, not really. It was, it, was a, it was a ballad. We tried to remember what it was last night. I, there's two or three that were good. I, we can't remember which one it was. So what else can we learn? Did... Uh, Jehoiada, did he raise Joash wrong? When he was the chief priest, he had a lot of things to do. And when Jehoiada was, was growing up, he was basically the, the regent. He was the king running the nation. So maybe he didn't have a lot of time to spend with Joash. And even though he was a priest, maybe he didn't put a lot of effort into it. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is when Jehoiada died, Joash didn't have a faith. It died there too. I think this is Father's Day. We have a responsibility to our children. And I just wanted to uh, 
read Proverbs 22, 6. It says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. So apparently, Joash wasn't on the path, didn't know what the path was. He was just following, couldn't lead himself. I don't know. But teaching our kids on this path of faith is kind of like teaching them to ride a bike. You start off small, and we, we guide their steps. We first get them a tricycle, and they learn how to pedal, and then they learn how to steer, and they learn how to go, and then they're like, I'm a big boy. I want a two-wheeler. Okay, we get them a two-wheeler. Well, no, we don't give them a two-wheeler right away. We put training wheels on it. And then we make it oh, so, so they know how to balance and until so they ride and they can, so then they're going and then they're going and they're, I am big enough to get rid of these baby training wheels. Okay, so we take the training wheels off and then we let them ride without, but we're still holding on. We're still going, they're still going, 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 and then they go too fast and then they're off on their own. But that whole process, it's not about the training wheels, it's not about riding the bike. It's about doing it on their own, teaching them to ride on their own. And so that's how we have to teach our kids to have faith step by step so that they can go on their own. When I was a kid, we had a church drug problem. Yep, it's true. Every time the doors were open, I was drugged to church. Three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, drugged to church, church drug problem. And as I got older, I was like, oh, I have to go to church, yes. And then I realized that I could make the pretty girls laugh and it wasn't so bad going to church. It was all right. But teenagers, I want to talk to you parents bring you to church to teach you about the ways of God not because we want to control you and ruin my life not because we want to do that but because we know the alternative we know what it's like we've seen the world. We've maybe even been out in the world. We know what it's like to not follow God. And I think there needs to come a point where you need to ask your parents, what was that like for you? Or parents, tell your children what your experience was like. I'm grateful that my kids have been able to learn lessons from me and from the rest of my family. That they know the dangers of alcohol and know the pitfalls of relationships and that they have listened. But it's not a sign of weakness to be guided, to have a coach. If you're gonna play football, play basketball, 
Is it a sign of weakness to have a basketball coach? Why can't we have a faith coach? It could be your parents, it could be a youth pastor, it could be somebody that God sent from down the street. It's fine. If you are here today, if you're watching today, and your faith is small, and you feel like you're ready to give up, I just want to tell you it's okay to be here. You don't have to be perfect to come to church. You don't have to be a faith giant. And if you feel like your faith is small, you only have, a, have to have enough faith for today. Just win today. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. When the tomorrow comes, have enough faith to win that day too. At church, this is for us. This is for us. Look at our mission statement. Helping people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. Until a few days ago, I hadn't really given that too much thought. I thought, oh, people are, they're already saved. They're already in the church. Maybe they need to get baptized. Maybe they need to start reading their Bible more. Maybe they need to go through the journey and we'll find a place for them to work so they can feel, use their spiritual gifts. But as we start this Engage campaign, we're going to each one have a one. And our next point is we need to be okay where people start at. They may start with no faith, no knowledge of God, no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of Jesus. We may see some really weird things that would, we don't do that in church. Well, they don't know. We need to be okay from, with where people are starting at. So the last, as I wrap up, the question for us, is your faith your own? Are you following someone else? That's fine. That's fine to have a coach and a mentor, but you need to make sure that your faith is yours at some point. If you are a Jehoiada, if you are a, a leader with people are following you, how are your people doing? So, in closing, it's time to be introspective and look at our own lives and look at the lives of people we have influence on to see if they're doing okay. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for coming to visit with us today. Thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you for the beautiful music that touches our souls and lifts our spirits. We just ask that you would let this lesson of Joash, this king that started off good, that ended bad, that we might be able to learn to be careful, be wary of the good times. That we might make sure that our faith is our own, that we're not just blindly following grandma's faith, 
Heavenly Father, we just turn this day over to you as a, a day of praise and celebration of you. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And with that, I'm going to let you go home and get a, dads get a root beer float on the way out and think about where is your faith? You are dismissed. Thank you. The noon, my son, of the city's at home.